It is late and it is dark. We have been hiking for hours and we're tired, but we must cross the creek before we set up camp for the night. We hear the rushing creek, but cannot see it. Our headlamps are on, giving us enough light to see 20 feet ahead of us. We finally come to the creek. I strap Emma to my chest and begin to carefully pick my way across the creek. The water isn't deep, but it is swift. It's sometimes hard to get a solid step in without rushing water pushing my foot off the rocks. Adventures in Yosemite go back to the year 2013. I saw a picture of Cathedral Peak and Cathedral Lake on a Backpacker magazine, which captured my fascination and inspired a trip. After some careful planning and booking airlines, we flew into San Francisco in California. We're here. We're in California. But we must drive. California is large, so what looks close on the map takes hours to drive to see. We drive east from San Francisco through golden fields and hills. The scenery changes to become more rugged. We curve around and around a twisting road, which looks like a snake. Will our car make it to the top? It seems like these switchbacks will never end. But finally we do. Then we continue to Yosemite National Park. We drive past granite mountains, tall evergreens, clear lakes and rivers, into Tuolumne Meadows. We park and get our gear out. We are starting our hike later than we wanted. This is a common theme of ours while backpacking. And it's chilly here. The altitude is high. Finally, we begin our hike into the woods toward the mountains. Large trees drift past us as we hike through the majestic forests of conifers. They are large, silent sentinels who watch over the forest floor. Beyond them are the larger granite peaks. And suddenly, to our right, in the side of the hill is a spring. Clear, clean water is bubbling up. All these things remind us that we are small compared with the grandeur and raw power of nature, yet we are not insignificant. From the granite peaks to the bubbling spring, all are gifts for us to enjoy. All these work together so harmoniously in their habitat that it cannot be coincidence. Without the peaks and snowmelt, the trees could not thrive. Without the trees and other plants, few animals could make a home within this park. Although at times animals seem to compete with one another, all the components of nature actually work together in miraculous ways. The sun is sinking lower in the sky. Time to hurry up. After ascending gradually for about two hours, the terrain flattens out and we spot a wonderful creature. He or she deserves our respect. We get close enough for pictures, but dare not get too close. 
we respect their desire for space. This creature is only about one and a half feet tall and about two feet long. It has four paws and is probably most often up in a tree. It is not fast, and while it has claws and teeth, they are not its most dangerous weapons. My wife loves these animals. She is thrilled to finally see one. We are grateful we left later than we wanted to so that we could see this comical animal. Its name means quilled pig. We know it as the porcupine. After studying our new friend, although I doubt they would consider us to be their friend, we continue on. We have about a half a mile to go and the sun won't wait up for us. Nature is not hurried by us and our activity, but neither does it wait for us. It continues on in a steady rhythm. I suspect this is a part of God's design, like floating in a canoe along with the flow of the river, occasionally paddling, yet ultimately letting the current lead us on. We are beginning to come out of the tree line toward a meadow and the lake. What glory! The sun is just setting, and the sky turns orange and red. Before us in the meadow is a network of creeks reflecting the fiery sky, and there are deer grazing. We stop and gaze upon the scene, hardly believing it is true. There are moments for savoring, beauty, goodness, majesty. This is one of those moments. Drink it in. I imagine this is what the Garden of Eden may have looked like before the first piece of litter, before the first building, before mankind brought brokenness into this world. The world was perfect once, it will be again. This is what keeps us going, hope. And these moments remind us of that hope, beauty, goodness, majesty. They can still be found here, even in the midst of the mess. I see it when a plant grows up between the cracks of a sidewalk. I hear it when a bird sings as it flies overhead, even though I feel sad. I feel it when I pet a cat and it purrs and soothes my anxiety. I smell it when summer awakens a honeysuckle and it shares its fragrance with me as I walk alone. I taste it in the apple, Though it may be bruised from a fall, it still offers its sweetness, and the other side is nearly perfect. We drink in the goodness tonight, setting up camp. We are grateful for this experience together. We are better because we have seen something beautiful. We fall asleep in our tents, eager for more experiences of beauty. We wake to birds singing. There are so many here. I scurry out of the tent and see a bird. It's acting like a woodpecker, but it seems like it has a white head. I'm looking through my list of birds to see if there is a woodpecker with a white head. Oh, sure enough, there is. And it's called a white-headed woodpecker in these parts. I've never seen one before. It's a lifer for me. That's what birders call a bird they see for the first time in their life, a lifer.
You can be a bird or two. It doesn't require anything except becoming aware of what's around you. You can get binoculars, but you don't really need them. You can have a bird identification book, but you don't really need one. Simply enjoying the songs of birds, observing their behavior, or feeling the thrill of a flash of bright colors as a bird flies by is all a part of birding. You don't even need one of those silly-looking hats and safari-style shirt with pockets. That's what people often think of when they think of a birder. But anyone can be a birder anywhere. Often, I simply walk out into a park or some woods and listen to a bird song. I can usually tell what birds are around without even seeing them. It did take a lot of practice to memorize so many bird calls, but it's worth it to me. I feel connected with nature when I do this, and you can do it too. Mornings in the backcountry bring new days of adventure, and today is no exception. Our goal is to climb one of the nearest peaks, though not the tallest. We fill our day packs with water, cameras, and lunch, then begin our ascent from the lake to the peak. We arrive near the top, but we can't see a safe path to the very top. So we content ourselves with these majestic views from almost the top. Now that we're up here, however, we see storm clouds approaching. Can we make it back to camp before the rain comes? We look at the terrain below and around us, plotting what we believe is the quickest route back to camp. I, however, am not feeling very well. Is this altitude sickness? We had been down in San Francisco a few days before hiking up here, and San Francisco is just at sea level. Right now, we are around 10,000 feet. That's about two miles or three kilometers up. Going from such a low elevation to a high elevation can be hard on the body, and altitude sickness can set in. And now we're racing an oncoming storm. I feel miserable. Partway down, we see that our chosen path also leads to an impassable cliff. While falling down the cliff truly is the quickest way to get down, um, that's not what we want. I'm feeling worse as we begin to backtrack to the main path and on toward our campsite. Oh, and here comes the rain. I feel low on energy. I'm drenched. I don't care anymore. Just get me back to the tent where it's warm, dry, and soft. I drag my poles because lifting them is too difficult. We make it back with me behind all the rest. Somehow I change into dry clothes and crash onto my glorious sleeping bag. Happy day, we survived. For the rest of that trip, I didn't have any more altitude sickness. After descending back down to our base camp, it was low enough in elevation that my body could handle it. Everything was good except for finding tickets on our backpacks. Yes, even in the backcountry, you can get ticketed. The ranger gave us tickets because we were too close to a source of water. We moved our campsite farther away from the water and had a fine time. That was in 2013. 
Six years later, we made it back out to Yosemite, but this time with children. Here we are with Edmund and Emma in Yosemite National Park. Edmund is five and Emma just three. What are we doing backpacking with these guys? While they are young, uh, we believe they are capable of hiking in four miles to our campsite. Ready or not, we're going. Surprise, surprise, we get off to a late start. There is plenty of sunlight as we park and walk along the trail, but the real trouble is how beautiful this hike is. We start over 8,000 feet up, about one and a half miles or two and a half kilometers. We look down into Yosemite Valley and see El Capitan, Half Dome, and multiple waterfalls. The reason this beautiful hike brings us trouble is because we take a step and take a picture. Take a step and take a picture. So many pictures to take, it slows us down. As we walk along through conifer groves, past lush undergrowth and flowers, along the ridges of granite rocks, we never get tired of looking at Half Dome and its massive glory. As we hike, the angle of Half Dome changes so we see its front partly, then fully on the side, and finally from slightly behind, always descending down, down. As the shadows are lengthening, the sun sets earlier here because the tall mountains block out the last hours of sunlight. At some point, we all switch on our headlamps so we can see better, but it's getting chilly. We've been awake for hours, and our internal clocks still haven't adjusted to this west coast time. It is 8 p.m. locally, but to us it feels more like 11 p.m., almost midnight. Our young children haven't complained yet. Part of that is our not-so-secret weapon on this trip. During tricky sections of the trail, or when it seems like we need a little bit of fun, I have been setting out two peanut M&Ms along the side of the trail. Edmund finds them both, eats one, and hides the other for Emma to find, coming along after him. I'm just now hiding a green and yellow M&M. Look for a green and yellow M&M, I yell to them. I see Edmund find them, eat one, and hide the other. Ha, it's working. They are hiking along, having a good time, and there's no fussing. It's good to be out as a family. It is late, and it is dark. We have been hiking for hours, and we're tired. But we must cross the creek before we set up camp for the night. We hear the rushing creek, but cannot see it. Our headlamps are on, giving us enough light to see 20 feet ahead of us. We finally come to the creek. I strap Emma to my chest and begin to carefully pick my way across the creek. The water isn't deep, but it is swift. It's sometimes hard to get a solid step in without rushing water pushing my foot off the rocks. Emma is afraid. This is a lot for a three-year-old. I feel uncomfortable too. Crossing a creek in the dark is unnerving. Aren't there bears around too? 
the ranger did tell us that if we see one, to rush at it. Rush at a bear? Never mind about that. We are crossing this creek right now. One thing at a time. Step by step. We make it across. Now it is time for Bethann and Edmund. It looks like Edmund is clinging on to Bethann like a koala bear as she begins to cross. I'm shining my headlamp onto the creek in front of them. Steady. Take it easy. Halfway there. Just a little more. A few more steps. Yes, you made it. We're all across. Now the rest of the group should have no problem crossing. We're all across. We feel relieved, much relieved, to be on this side of the creek, but it's still dark, and we're not yet to the campsite. It's almost 10 p.m. locally, 1 a.m. for us from the East Coast. I feel zonked. The children must be completely exhausted. Still, we push ahead, searching eagerly for the campsite. Then, we see the glow of other headlamps. We made it. We are here. We set up the tents, roll out the sleeping pads and sleeping bags, collapse in exhaustion, and sleep. Morning light wakens me. Time for something to eat. I'm hungry as a bear. It sounds like someone is already out getting the food and starting breakfast. This seems a little early for someone else to already be up. I'm usually the first one to eat. I look out the tent door and see not a person, but a large, black, furry creature over by our food. A bear! What should I do? The ranger said, What, what, yell and run at the bear? Quickly as I can, I put my shoes on, grab my hiking poles, and run out into the morning air, certain to see the end of it all. But I have a family to protect. Bear! There's a bear! Yeah! Get out of here, bear! Shoo! Everyone, wake up! There's a bear! I hold my hiking poles, ready to defend myself. But the bear doesn't run at me. Doesn't growl. Doesn't even stand on its hind legs. It acts like I've inconvenienced its morning meal. Oh, bother, the bear seems to say. It bumbles off silently as if it doesn't have a care in the world. Well, that wasn't what I expected when I woke up. Nothing about that seems expected. In life, we encounter situations we may consider big problems, but if we face them with full courage, Letting whatever happens, happen. We may be surprised that nothing really comes of it. According to one research study, 85% of what the test subjects worry about never happened. And with the 15% that did have something happen, 79% of the subjects discovered either they could handle the difficulty better than expected, or the difficulty taught them a lesson worth learning. And another study found similar results, with 90% of the participants' fears never actually happening. In other words, what we think we fear doesn't usually happen. 
what we fear, and what actually happens are often two completely separate things. Our fear is not usually based in reality. Here's something that you can do when you fear. The Bible says, don't worry about anything. Instead, pray about everything. Tell God what you need and thank him for all he has done. If you do this, you will experience God's peace, which is far more wonderful than the human mind can understand. Now Edmund is seven and Emma is five. Though it has been over two years since we hiked in Yosemite and saw the bears, we joke about that morning when other members in our group heard me yell, bear, bear, there's a bear. Yeah, get away bear. That wasn't the only time we saw bears on that trip. The bears became almost like friends to us, regular visitors. So much that by the end, we began to invite them to a tea time at breakfast. Would you like one lump or two? Okay, okay. You can have three, but mind your manners. Papa! Papa! Oh, what's going on? We're having a party! A party? What on earth for? Because the podcast is one year old. Already? Papa, this is our 50th episode. 50? And we've reached 20,000 downloads. 20,000? Well, it sounds like we need to have a party. We're having a party. Party. I'm Moose Jaw Matt. Until next year, keep exploring your world. Visit Facebook, Instagram, or moosejawmat.com to see pictures of these trips from Yosemite.